0: Block Talk Radio
1: Welcome to the Football by Football Podcast. Welcome back to the Football by Football podcast. I'm Matt Chatham, your host, former linebacker for the Patriots and Jets, joined today by my good buddies Brady Quinn and Brady Papinga. What's up, fellas?
2: We are alive.
1: Today's show is a little bit different. Uh, You know, this is sort of the dead period in the NFL. Uh, You know, we're after free agency, after the draft. Many camps, which are kind of the exciting thing that people look forward to, that's still down the road on the horizon. Right now, there's something... Going on called OTAs, the uh, the NFL's organized team activity. So I wanted to get a couple players on here, both Brady Quinn and Brady Papenga, guys that have. Gone through these OTAs, something that when I came into the NFL back in 1999, uh, these were called quarterback camps. You know, (laughs) this is something where I think it's changed quite a bit because it used to kind of be like a pitchers and catchers thing in baseball, where the offense and defensive line didn't didn't really get that much involved because you can't hit each other. So what the hell are they doing out there? So uh, I wanted to talk to you guys because you guys have been playing much later than I, especially you, Brady Quinn. Uh, under these new rules under the new 2011 uh, version of the collective bargain agreement what is an NFL OTA relative to what I would have thought about it years ago
0: you know Matt I, so I experienced both before and after and uh, I think it's what, what's what's occurred is this newest version of the CBA and what, what it's forced quarterbacks to it's been it's handicapped a lot of players uh, but in, in most in, most in particular young quarterbacks, um, we don't have what, what, what they would consider quarterback school anymore, which was actually a, a period of time even before um, the offseason training activities would start, where the quarterbacks could go in, watch film, do all those sorts of things with the coaches right. before any of the other players got there. Um, and you know those restrictions have been laid down with the 2011 CBA, and it's, it's, you can tell it's hurt the growth of a lot of the kids that I think they they think are going to be the the faces of the league uh, in the future as far as the quarterback position. We just haven't seen the strides made. Uh, and it's unfortunate because of any position in the NFL, I think the quarterback position is the one that needs this, um, you know, this period of time to really get down the new offense or any nuances you're trying to change this upcoming season. And unfortunately that wasn't taken into account when they were negotiating, um, you know, for these working conditions and trying to less some of the, less some of the time, these players are spending in the facilities and banging on one another that really that thought wasn't taken into consideration
1: okay so brady Papinga, i'm curious uh, kind of pivoting off what brady said you were in different organizations than i was uh green bay st louis dallas places that run a little bit different systems i'm curious so, sort of in my head what, what brady's talking about we we were very big on this whole you know Arc thing where you just develop the crap out of young players. They're in every hour of the day. They'll the legal possibly allow you to, and you build towards training camp. Right? That that's I know. I know that's not the way it is in, in every place. Uh, tell me, sort of your experience at some of those different places. How sort of OTAs are treated? Sort of the thing that comes before a mini camp, which comes before a training camp.
2: Yeah, the biggest thing in Green Bay that always stuck out to me was, and, and, and I didn't agree with it to be honest with you, is their philosophy was that they would treat the off-season team activities almost like you were in in-season in the sense that the depth chart would change on a daily, even weekly basis. They would weigh very heavily those practices into rep times when the training camp time came around in August, which I found to be extremely worthless because there were numerous times, two cases in particular, where basically we had this fullback he was an undrafted guy comes in and he's the biggest bull you could ever imagine during these OKs when everybody's (laughs) wearing their you know shorts and t-shirts and all of a sudden it was the most unbelievable thing the first day of pads in training camp he comes to hit one of us linebackers and he starts to flinch he starts to look soft this guy was terrible And the team had built him up to the point where he was actually rotating reps with the perceived, or I should say, the favored starter going into the season, stealing his reps essentially, just because this guy was a pulley when everybody was in shorts. Blew me away. Another incident happened. When we changed schemes from a 4 3 to a 3 4, we had this really big, tall, long, athletic outside linebacker. He was 6 260. He was smooth, agile, quick. He was slippery around the edge. Man, he looked great in shorts. They put him in, pretty much wrote him in as the starter. First day of Paz came, the guy had this look of fear. He was hesitant and he was a complete disaster. Again, stealing reps from other guys that were more likely to, to be the guy and to be that person that was going to man the position. And by the way, he ended up pretty much fizzling out and didn't even make the top two depth chart going into the regular season. So I always felt that the OTAs, to be really honest with you, and I wrote about this in a later column, is, they're overly emphasized because this should be the downtime. Yeah, if, if you're a guy like Brady Quinn that likes the off season and likes his time to, to build chemistry and camaraderie with your wideouts and such, that should be at your, your fingertips and you should be something you're able to do. But in the same breath, if you're somebody else like Aaron Rodgers, for example, who wants to hang out in Southern Cali, go to the Kentucky Derby, take a break, and then reunite with your guys in July or whatever to sort of retouch base and then go at it, you know, you should also have that flexibility, too. I do believe right now it's just more teams are leaning on the side of overemphasizing these OTAs, which I don't believe is a smart thing to do because, if anything, you're burning out your guys.
0: You know, Aaron Rodgers is at a completely different point in his career where he's able to do that now. For any quarterback who's still young, he's still trying to develop himself, are still trying to be that leader in the locker room. In particular, if you're even an older player and you have a young locker room, you know, you can't be away from there and allowing things to kind of get out of hand or things not to be done the way you're comfortable with. So yeah, Aaron Rodgers might say and do that now, but that's not something that he would have done early on in his career, or if he didn't have the type of wide receivers um, that he felt he had a good rapport with already to need to build on it. So you know, look for any other position, I'm sure it's different, but for quarterbacks, uh, I would say it's the one position I really need this time in the offseason.
2: Let me jump into this. Aaron Rodgers was basically when he came to Green Bay, he had, a, if you remember he had a throwing motion that the Packer organization at the time was Mike Sherman wanted to be different because he held the ball really high. They felt like it hindered his ability to quickly release the football. What ultimately happened is Aaron going back to his hometown in, I don't know, someplace in Northern California, he was able to hone this new technique of throwing and he came back and he was a completely different guy. And so you really couldn't, just say absolutely that, oh, the OTAs were what made him early on in his career. If anything, you can make an argument and say, actually, it was his ability to go home, decompress, get away from the facility, work on that one thing that they asked him to work on that could change his game. And right now he's arguably the quarterback that has the quickest release in all the NFL, and you can attribute it to the fact that he was able to go home and reteach himself, essentially, how to throw the football. Then let's not forget, guys. During the lockout time, you look at Andy Dalton, you look at Cam Newton, those guys had some of the most prolific passing years in the history of the NFL for rookie quarterbacks, and they didn't even have one OTA. So like yeah, I said, then, I had but there's, but there's, but there's but a whole but end of,
0: Gabbard, But then there's Blaine Gabbard, who actually had a really, really, his the highest quarterback I've taken, had a really, really rough rookie year, who could have used some time into the system and all that, and he had, could have done better from it. And then actually what you're talking about with Aaron Rodgers is Tom Clements, his old quarterback coach, a former Notre Dame grad who I've kept in touch with, He was actually the quarterback guy to work with him, help work on his throwing motion, help shorten it up and all that, and and really help him get that done. And that was done and started with the Green Bay Packers organization, not necessarily a throwing coach back home. Those habits were helped reinherited throughout that, what the Packers wanted. But, again, it was still initialized by the Packers and by the workouts and everything that they wanted in the offseason. So, Brady, I'm sorry. I got to say from experience, I just can't agree with you. (laughs)
2: <laughs> Let me just give my last point here. A Blaine Gabbert, he's never turned out to be anything, so bottom line is I don't even think these OTAs would have helped him anyway. But I would, what I was going to say before I was interrupted was it's different for everybody. And unfortunately, there's not the flexibility within the organizations of the teams to do what's necessary for what the player wants. And what I was going to say is Brady, from your perspective of philosophy, would like as much time within the facility as possible. Guess what? They're not going to give that to you. A guy at my end of the spectrum would like the least – amount of time in the facility in the offseason with these OTAs, and guess what? That's not afforded to guys. And so right now the league is at two different extremes in terms of not giving guys enough time in the facility because it should be made available to, available to them. And then they're on the other end where they take these OTAs so seriously to where guys like myself who don't highly believe in them have to just sort of go through the motion. So it's, it's something that still can be tweaked and ultimately honed in on when you talk NFL offseasons.
1: Again, guys, I, you know, obviously I deal in in this market in New England and I I would say to a man, they kind of laugh at how little time they have now. So I I think that for the view of this organization, which is the only one I have, obviously, uh, currently anyway, is, is that they're already at the low end of the spectrum. Uh, One of the things I would, I would wonder if part of why they would, would feel that OTAs needed to be more serious now is because of the low overall practice numbers. Uh, I, I look at this because Belichick used to always sort of hammer on this point. But rather than look at a practice, if it was in an OTA or a mini camp or a training camp or quarterback camp or any of that kind of stuff, he just simply knew he got X number of them from now till when I have the first game, X number of days with you, whatever it was. So it used to be, let's just use imaginary numbers. Say he got 50 days, and that might include a number of two-a-days, things like that within training camp. Well, now he doesn't get two-a-days, so maybe that old number that was 50 is now 50. You know, 38 or whatever. And then now the the, the amount of OTA time in minicamp got cut down as well. So maybe the old number 38 is now 32 or whatever it would be. And then the number of the de- hours get cut down. So I think they look at it uh, again, just the, the places I've been as sort of a calculus thing where I used to get 50. Now I get 25 or, or whatever it happens to be. And that's sort of the rationalization behind making some of these pajama parties, which is really what OTA is for, for a lot of the position groups. I mean, for for quarterbacks and wide receivers, I think it's absolutely critical. I think for defensive linemen and offensive linemen and, and a pass rusher like yourself, Brady, or guys that play on the end of the line where we're just play, playing patty cake, it can kind of seem like a joke. Uh, one of the sort of sidebar parts of this is I, I think the thing that organizations struggle with is if they had 53 guys like Brady Papenga that they knew that they could – you know, count on or Aaron Rodgers or whatever, they're going to go home and come back exactly as they want them. They're usually speaking to the lowest common denominator that the, the one to 10 guys that can't be trusted for that. So, So a lot of the other, so a lot of the other guys, you know, you get brought in to do things that you may not be benefiting from, but that they know that if they do that for everyone, they've got a serious problem on their hands. So anyway, I wanted to kind of move on to sort of what you do you're there you know whether or not we agree with it or not you're in these OTAs um i think what's unique from a fan perspective is you get to see training camps now and it's it's been this way for a long time but you get to see up up front and close i mean you can see every single play you can hear you know the the plays being called out maybe even some of the coverage checks things like that which to me i always laughed about because spygate was this supposed you know uh, taping of practices and I was like, well, dude, we get, we literally get to see every single practice in training camp and you walk into that third training camp or uh, third preseason game. And it doesn't help that much. I mean, you still, you still don't know what's going to be called or done. I'm curious how you guys handled OTAs where these sessions are generally closed to the media. These are the one times where it's really sort of learning, at least it was for us. You know, they're not. you're not plowing through the playbook. You're sort of building and installing. The drills are a little bit different because there's less contact. What's your experience, Brady Quinn, and, and, and what's going on in that practice different than what maybe a fan is seeing when they're sitting out in the stands at training camp?
0: Well, I think that it all depends on where you're at. In your career I think when you once you get older you become more of a veteran you're usually trying to perfect some part of your craft or improve some sort of weakness so every day I think your approach would be um, there's one thing I want to get better on today and and just so you know that practice it might look like you suck because you're working on this one thing you're trying to get it right and, and you're changing something and you're throwing motion you're focusing on one thing and you're you're late on your read because you're being you're conscious consciously focusing on this one thing throughout practice but that's really the only way to hone it in in order to improve it Um, so sometimes that's the case but if you're a younger player man it is being able to understand the system uh, go through it in a methodical manner and then be able to go out and perform on the field um, the way that the coaches would want you to without any hiccups and making sure that everything you're doing from the mental aspect of the game is spot on because usually you know younger quarterbacks They've got to be able to find their worth very quickly in these practices. It, for some people, again, like like Greg Vapenga and other positions, it might not be as important, but for court, younger quarterbacks and guys trying to create a foothold in competition or make the roster, they've got to come out fire-raising, and they have to be on point with everything Everything from the mental aspect. You're going to miss some throws in here and there, and there's going to be some fundamental things you can work on, but you've got to make sure you have the offense down so you know that part of it. And the physical stuff, you can continue to drill and practice to get better at
1: well so Brady Brady Papenka, I got I got a question here for you because I'm curious and I, I don't know the Green Bay system. At all, okay? So I'll put that out in front, too, especially since it's it's Dom Capers there now, although he is a 3-4 guy. I have friends that that played in the league that were here and also in Indianapolis, and they would sort of laugh how incredibly simplistic the Colts' defensive playbook was at the time relative to ours. Like, literally, he shows up in free agency and two weeks into it, he knows everything he needs to know, and laughingly, you know, they're in November games, and they're still running essentially the same six or seven calls. So... I think there are some places like that. I wasn't a part of one. If you if you threw a young player or even a new free agent that was a veteran, uh, Chad Brown is a good example, uh, Monty Beisel, guys that were linebackers that came in from other places that had success at other spots, and they got in there, and wow, that, you don't pick that stuff up until four or five months later. Uh, what's been your experience? So you say you're in this different system. You know that you're not going to be able to live pass rush and work on that skill. You're not going to be able to press tight ends and work on setting the edge. You might be able to sort of shadow backs and, and pass coverage. But knowing sort of the restrictions you have, uh, what do you work on? What, what 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 can you get better on yourself in, in an OTA in Green Bay?
2: Well, I'll, I'll, I'll say this. I'll start off by saying everything you said about, you know, you don't get to set the edge. You don't full-blown pass rush. That's not the case in Green Bay, guys. That's what happens when the when the, when they shut down the OTAs to the fans of the media, and like I said, and to the media, like I said, you're out there, and you're out there trying to win a spot, and that day counts. It's not pitter-patter as a pass rush. You are full-blown bull rushing. You're sticking your face up in the middle of offensive lineman chest. You're running guys over. You're studying the yards. You're playing as though you have pads because Green Bay has that philosophy. Draft and develop. They make it very clear to the young guys, hey, this is where you earn your keep, and if you want to make the team and beat out a veteran, this is where that journey begins. So when it's closed to the media, it's like you have pads on. You are banging heads. I mean, that's why I hate them so bad, because you're not even equipped to handle that kind of impact, but yet that's what's being basically put on display, and the coaches are fine with it. They don't care. And that, and that to be honest with you, is the, the culture when – the media has no access to Green Bay Packer practices. Now what happens is, is when there is access, they basically tell us, oh, when we go do one-on-one offensive line and defensive line drills, we're just going to go to the whistle. So you take two steps and just stop. That's what we, so we would basically make it to where when everybody knew, in fact, what we were doing, that we couldn't get exposed for going out and playing too physically. And so that's just the nature and the experience that I had as a Green Bay Packer. So you, you're you able to not only work on learning the system, but you're able to go out and implement it in a full-speed drill. And I'm talking full-speed contract drill. And then when the media was able to, and the public was able to have access, everything obviously was toned down so we wouldn't get in trouble but that's how I, – now, I don't know if it's still the case in Green Bay. They put a very high emphasis as of late on health. I don't know if you guys had followed the health of the Packers when I was there, especially we always have double digits or more guys on injury reserve by the year, uh, by the time the year ended. And, I mean, the same thing happened in the, the Super Bowl year. We had 15 guys, me included, on the injury reserve. And I would have to say that it was in large part due to the fact that we would almost be burned out because we were grinding the ax during the OTAs.
1: Curious, curious on this angle with Brady Quinn. So uh, I always wanted to sort of get the inside. And at this point now as a retired player, I can't use it. But uh, what we were working on sort of behind closed doors, and I think this really gets into the nuts and bolts of what's what's being learned out there that that might interest fans from a defensive standpoint we were doing install so we're doing the basics we're teaching reteaching from like square one what exactly cover one is and what everyone's reads are what exactly cover two and cover three and four and all the way down the line basic fronts handful of those things now we also know on the flip side the offense is kind of doing the same stuff they're doing personnel packages they're doing route tree stuff they're doing shifts and motions but we know that it's a pared-down version. Are you aware as sort of a quarterback as you go through OTAs and go through mini camps that the guys across from you sort of have a pared-back scheme? You know, maybe the defense is playing one, two, or three different coverages. The offense has got 10 plays or, or whatever it is. Are you aware of that fact? You, you put a ton of stock in completion percentages or do coaches really actually hammer on those kind of things at this time of year?
0: You, you're definitely aware of the simplicity of a lot of times early OTAs and uh, what you're trying to get accomplished, but that's no different than, you know, your install, right? You're, you're running very base, simple plays, you know, things that are going to be more in your core game plan that you're running throughout the year, just packaging them a different way. Like you mentioned in personnel uh, and formation, formationing them uh, and getting them to them different ways with shifts and motions. Um, but so you, so you don't take a whole lot. into necessarily push percentage. I think every day you go out there, you want to throw a hundred percent if you can or get you know, a high percentage during practice. Um, but it definitely doesn't give you a, a, a realistic approach of what it's going to be like playing in a game because there's going to be more disguise. There's going to be more variations. And uh, until you get into really um, probably, I'd probably say the veteran minicamp or, or the end of training camp, um, that's when you start to get kind of the real live situations in practice that feel more game-like. Um, so, for example, some days you'll go out there with a specific objective in mind. For example, when I was in Seattle, we would, uh, you, know, run a, you know, run a naked or run a boot. And, you know, everyone always has the flat. They have an overout coming across the ball like 12 yards, and they have a comeback on the outside. Well, sometimes there's this backside receiver running a deep post. He almost never gets the football. Well, one of the early OTAs, they said, hey, you know, uh, you know let's try to hit this. We had a point system, right, to see who won the day in the quarterback room. So the guy who can hit this gets X amount of points, which essentially meant, he wins, you know, that day and then the quarterback run competition. So whenever right. we were running those bootlegs, you better believe when we came out around the edge <laughs> and we had enough time, we are giving that backside post uh, a read. When it, and when in a real live game, there's no chance you're ever going to no be able to get right. back to that guy unless you make <laughs> right. someone miss. So um, those sorts of things kind of take part. And it's, I, I think it's partially because it makes that guy aware that, hey, maybe I can not get the ball. So maybe I'm going to run this route hard. But it also makes you aware of all the other routes and things that are out there that in certain scenarios may pop and may help you later on in the game, which with Russell Wilson, I mean, everyone's open on the field at any point in time the way he runs around.
1: Well, one other idea that I I sort of wanted to touch on here, uh, and and that's really interesting because you're talking on offense, Brady Quinn, about doing something that you kind of know isn't going to pop up, but it gets you some exposure to something just in case, you know, just in case later. Uh, On the defensive side of the ball, I always was, you know, playing backup at a lot of different positions. So these camps were times where. I would take a lot more inside linebacker reps, you know, like lead a huddle, which is something Mm -hmm. I didn't didn't usually do, get to bounce around a little bit. But the focus was on communication. and, And that's something that, I would argue, I guess, that, that is so important for this time of year because there isn't the pressure of the crowd. There isn't the pressure of game planning across from you. It's sort of an opportunity, at least on the defensive side, to really start to pay attention, I, I guess for me. So say I'm on the, the left outside linebacker. All of a sudden, you know, with a little less distractions, I can pay attention to the offside guard and find out if he's cheating back. I can pay attention to the fullback, maybe cheating where he aligns in case that'll tip off a of protection. All those little things that, Let's be honest, once it gets to, to September, October, November, I might forget about those things, but it's kind of the deal to just pick, pick up one little thing, pick up two little things, pick up something that might actually stick and you might use later. I'm curious to you, Brady Papanga, when you when you're going through sort of these kind of sessions and you feel, you know, maybe some of it's kind of a waste of time. Is there one little thing that you can sort of add to the docket each year that, you know, maybe you can use later in the season?
2: Yeah, but uh, in my, my experience with the OTAs is, you know, I'd, the whole time, other than my rookie year, we had Mike McCarthy, and he would do the exact same install progression throughout every OTA, throughout every minicamp, and I was there six right. years, so I, what is that, 24? And that I memorized exactly every play they are going to run, and he would have a script, and he wouldn't really <laughs> change it up. So trying to work on other nuances was extremely difficult, and that's what you get when you have an offensive-emphasized coach, an offense-focused coach, is it's all really about the offense. I mean, even where we would practice. He wouldn't ever come console the defense. You know, it's sort of windy today, guys. Did you rather practice inside? No. All of a sudden, you're like, eh, we're practicing inside today. Oh, why is that? How far <laughs> if he? If he wants to go inside. There's too much wind. Ah, okay, let's go inside. You know? So that's the experience that I had with the OTAs. And so it's hard to work on stuff when you know and when you're facing a real offense and a real game situation, you're not going to be able to predict the whole progression of how they're going to set up their plays, and, oh, right now, here comes the lead week. All right, after the lead week, they're going to run a little play-action pass and a little Houston draw, whatever. You know, you you pretty much have it all memorized as to what they're going to throw at you, and even in kind of these move-the-ball situations where they do change it up, it's always the theme of the day. They rarely ever pull out a play to where it was a play that you weren't even, you know, prepared for, you hadn't already seen in all the other team drills, so... It was hard to really work on any kind of nuance other than just, like you said, focusing on the fundamentals and focusing on communication. Because at 3-4, the communication was so vital. And I played in the 4-3, it really wasn't as big, although there was communication coming from the safeties on down when our coverages did change. But at the 3-4, we would have rushers that were determined by the formation.
0: And yep, so not exactly. only is your
2: coverage determined by the formation, but your rusher is. And so therefore you have to have everybody on the same page. <laughs> you know, because if you're supposed to be dropping and you rush, there's a huge hole in the middle of your coverage that a quarterback, a decent one will exploit and your whole defense is compromised. So it's like the Cardinal rule. So those were important, but after the first week you had that down. And so after that, it literally was just trying to like eat spaghetti every single day of your life. Meaning it's just <laughs> land, there's no variety. And let's just get to the end of this so we can move on to training camp.
1: Well, one of the things I wanted to touch on uh, is sort of we're trying to bring the fan in here to, to what what you can, I guess, sort of take from OTAs. They're all going on in 32 different markets around the country. You're going to be hearing news items like it or not about how guys are doing them at, in them. And and Brady, you Brady Papenga, you sort of alluded to this where you might hear about some rising star <laughs> We're not really playing football yet. So it's something where I, I I sort of had some general rules and some guys that I did see sort of rise in that scenario uh, where it did correlate. But it was usually more of a skill position, a guy that, you know, maybe it was starting to gain the trust of, of Tom Brady or or maybe a guy who was earning more reps because his money shifts and motions as Josh McDaniel and Billy O'Brien and those guys like to do. Uh, you know, they they don't screw up. You know, they don't get mental errors. So all of a sudden, they earn new reps. Those are kind of the small things that you can sort of get from these. The one thing I guess I would caution to fans who are out there who live in whatever particular market you live in, and, you know, maybe Brandon Scherf is, is your guy there in Washington. You just want to find out how our, our, our shiny new draft pick is doing. You're not going to know how your offensive tackle is in the middle of May. So if, no. you're, reading a new, if you're reading a news story now about how wonderful Brandon Scherf looks, just... Just, you know, shred it, use it for your ferret cage. That's not going to be good information. <laughs> we we have one of those in our own market, and it's not because I think he'll be good, great. I don't know. I, I hope he does a great job. Dominique Easley was a guy that was a top pick a year ago uh, from Florida on the interior line, but that he had a knee injury, so he missed most of last year. Everyone's fired up to see how he's doing now. I've heard some whispers that, Oh, Dominic looks awesome. How the hell do you know with a defensive lineman? I, I we'll, we'll know. I mean, we'll know and we'll know in training camp, and you hope he's he's as good as you've heard. But uh, it's just something where I think fans out there should kind of understand. You know, there are going to be some positions. If your cornerback is is shadowing well and covering up and doing a good job and not getting burnt in and out of sort of zone coverages, that's some good information. That's decent. A Guy might be acclimating quickly. Uh, a pass rusher, good lord, they're not live pass rushes. So, so take nothing from what you're hearing right now. Um, I'm curious though, on on your side of the ball, uh, Brady Quinn, what maybe if you can think of an example or think of something where a guy has used this time to as a benefit and a guy has sort of risen either up the depth chart or started to show some of the things that you saw positive, positively from that guy later on in his career?
0: You, you know, one guy that comes to mind immediately and it's Jared Sweezy and he was actually a, a converted uh, defensive lineman to offensive line out in Seattle. And he was one guy in particular who, um, you know, look, the physical uh, attributes, you know, he had, he had the size, he had the strength, he had the athleticism, but it was kind of a mental uh, transition from the defensive to the offensive side of football. And even though he wasn't, um, he didn't have, you know, the ability to physically come off the ball and show off um, his ability to kind of, you know, get it, keep his hands inside, not hold it, and know his assignments uh, or excuse me, but but he had the chance to know his assignments, which I think propelled him into being on that starting offensive line and now he's almost, you know, been one of those guys who's a staple on their offensive line, and it started in the OTAs and it started in the off-season. So um, that was just one example that comes to mind. I mean, look, typically, uh, what these OTAs are, they're first impressions. So either for right. new acquisitions or or rookies and guys you're getting, those first those those first impressions can be huge in, in giving coaches the confidence, uh, in, in putting these guys in certain scenarios early on during the season. Not just talking about preseason, but during the season to see really what they're capable of doing and if they'll if they'll come through during game time. Whereas I think you know, so so many oftentimes you know we like you had talked about Dominic Easley. Brandon Whispers is doing great. It's just a first impression. We'll, we'll see once the, you know the real live Bulls are flying once they get out there. If if he's going to be the player that they thought he was going to when he's going to draft them. But but those early indications help give those coaches confidence and at least putting him in those positions.
2: Yeah, I mean it, it's. Like Brady Quinn was saying, it is important for the first impression, but that first impression, what I've experienced is it wears off pretty quick in right. those first few days of training camp. That Whatever the perception was, depending on how that person performs, it either is confirmed or it's like, oh, man, we really missed on this guy. Because I remember like specifically about this fullback. He's always the classic story where it's like, play like Jane, but you look like Tarzan kind of deal to where he looks so tough and so physical in the OTAs, and all of a sudden, the first few days of the training camp, I remember it was Reggie McKenzie, who now is the current general manager of the Oakland Raiders, coming up and being like, oh, my goodness, we missed on that guy. We, that's why he, he said this exactly. He's like, so that's why you never judge a linebacker, D lineman, or offensive lineman in OTAs in shorts and t-shirts. Not a good you know, good indicator. And I was like, yeah, obviously. Come on. I mean, just, I'm thinking to myself, did you just learn that? I mean, come on. Come on, Reggie. You played six years <laughs> in the NFL as a linebacker. Holy smokes. But uh, but yeah, I mean the 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 OTAs they do serve their purpose, especially for a young player. That's one thing. Like I wrote in my article too, for a young player, it is a very good experience in order just to figure out what the ebb and the flow of the training camp and the season is going to be somewhat like, because you're going to get that experience in terms of all the meetings all the walkthroughs and obviously the practice time that you're going to get so that when you do put the pads on, you're still not there with your head spinning around trying to figure out what's up and what's down. And so there is certain value to it, but I'd say that would be more for the young guys than for the older guys.
0: You know, Brie, you just mentioned something that, that brought something to mind. You know, to me, it's the speed, right? We all know from playing, there's different speeds to, to an NFL season. You know, the, the OTAs, the, the mini camp, then getting the training camp preseason, then regular season, then playoffs. Um, you know, there's all types of different speeds and the game only speeds up and gets faster and faster and faster. So it's also really an acclimation period for a lot of those young guys to get up to speed with the veterans, get up to speed with the guys who played in the NFL before, who understand the speed of the game and what it's like. Because um, I know that's probably the biggest transition, right? That whole mental aspect of it and then putting it together with the physical and going out there on the field and matching that with these efficient veteran players who – they don't, you know, they don't take two steps when they're coming downhill on the run. They take one and they go. Um, and they, they don't hesitate as much. The older veteran guys know when to go. They have that wisdom. Uh, and, and those young players are still finding out. So it's, it's almost like the speed of the game, too. It's so important to see if these guys can adapt to it early on. And I think it makes it a little bit easier for them to do that later on once the games come.
1: I like the uh, reference there to sort of the mental portion that they can pick up, the speed portion that they can pick up. But I'm going to end the show here with a reference that I think Brady Papenga is going to get because he had Robbo as a coach as well. Rob Ryan was my linebacker coach for many years. And Robbo's, one of his my favorite quotes that Rob would say is, he said, you know, guy looks good right now, but it's tough to run routes with tears in your eyes. So the,
2: the, idea, <laughs> the,
1: the idea being that, you know what, it's, it's perfect as it looks now. Uh, let's see him get the middle component. Uh, but once we hit him, will he be able to continue to do it? So it is. It is sort of as Brady Quinn alluded to. It's a progression. This is the mental part. This is the speed part, the personal confidence part, also the coaching confidence part, uh, that they can feel good, that they put him in there. Uh, I think there's some confirmation bias that goes on, which is, hey, I drafted that dude. I was the guy that advocated really hard for this guy after scouting him at whatever university. <laughs> so I want to see him out there in a less threatening environment, start to make me look like I made the right decision, those kinds of things. Uh, but then it's just a, it's just a part of the growth curve. It's it's one part of the process, and this will be over. Many camps will be on after that. And and then training camp, and you really get to learn some things in preseason. So anyway, great stuff today, guys. Thanks so much for being with me. Uh, had a blast here on the Football by Football podcast. The FBF podcast can be found on iTunes and Stitcher and on the TuneIn Radio app, or you can visit blogtalkradio.com and go to the Football by Football page. Be sure to check out footballbyfootball.com online, and if you don't already, make sure to give us a follow on Twitter at FB by FB. Thanks, guys. Have a good one, buddy. Thanks for listening to the Football by Football podcast. Football insight by football players.
0: Hey, Lucky night, Dusty. Good night, Ned. Good night, Ned. Good night, Ned.